Today on this edition of Bold Steps Weekend, Mark Job explains what it means to worship in spirit and truth. You see, some of us have been believers, but we seldom go into the throne room. You say, well, Pastor, I don't really know how to go into the throne room. Well, worship in spirit and in truth takes you into the throne room. And the closer you get to the throne room, the deeper your worship experience will be. Would you like to take your relationship with the Lord to the next level? Well, that's the topic we'll be diving into today here on the new Bold Steps Weekend program with Mark Job. Mark is president of the Moody Bible Institute and the senior pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago, and I'm Wayne Shepherd. As we continue our study on habits and the disciplines that make a difference in our lives, we'll be turning to the book of Revelation to discover the four spiritual habits that will help you take the concept of worship and adoration of the Lord to the next level. But Mark, before the message starts, tell us why developing this habit is so important. There are certain habits that are foundational to our Christian walk. And prayer, as we dealt with, that's key. Worship, that's like breathing for the believer. In the presence of God, there's worship. And when we worship, we set our lives in perspective, not because God needs worship, but because we need to worship him. Hmm. And Wayne, let me say this. This is a challenging, difficult time to worship. Oh, yes, it is. Uh, There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of fear. And our our lips and our mind can go to what's wrong and to uh, the, the current circumstances we're living in. And so more than ever, I believe that this habit of worship is vital. Because what we're really saying, Wayne, is... I'm worshiping the God that's in control, that's on the throne, that has all power, and nothing is above him. This is vital for us. Boy, we need it so badly, don't we? All right, well, let's get started without delay on today's message. It's titled, Habit of Worship. The early church, it tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they were committed to four habits. Not eight, not ten, not twelve, four. Just four. Simple. Not a lot. Four. What were the habits? Very simple habits. It tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and they, the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is the word of God and meditation, devoted themselves to fellowship, which is communion and confession, devoted themselves to prayer. We've been, last week we taught you how to pray through the Lord's Prayer, and also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. You say, well, Mark, that's a weird habit, the breaking of bread. I mean, what do you mean, like they ate together a lot? No, not necessarily that they ate together a lot because that's already covered under fellowship. But oftentimes, the breaking of bread refers to a practice that Jesus instituted at the uh, Last Supper that we have come to call communion or the Lord's Supper or in some uh, backgrounds that you came from, the the Eucharist uh, referred to it that way. But it's it's that time when we take the bread and we take the cup and partake of it together. Now, in the early church, what they would do is they would take the bread, the unleavened bread, 
and they would pass it around and everybody would break a piece of the bread off, so it's called the breaking of bread. So, I hope that you've already begun to try to put into practice the habit of praying every day, the habit of getting the Word every day, the habit of being in uh, communion and confessing, getting your life right every day, and this is the habit of worship and adoration, or cross, what I like to call cross-centered worship. And, you know, we can worship and praise God for a lot of things, but I want to talk to you about this worship that is, revolves around the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine, or the bread and the grape juice, cross-centered worship. You know, you can worship God for a lot of things. You get a parking space on a snowy day in Chicago, hey, thank you, Jesus. The sun shines, praise God. You get a bull's ticket, ah, thank you, Lord. And those are all good things, those are all nice things, but I believe there's a worship that's deeper than that. A worship that goes beyond the just, hey, things worked out well for me this week, but a worship that goes to the, from the outer court to the inner court. And that's the kind of worship and adoration I want to talk to you about, because here's what I want you to know. I want you to understand and know that all the time, even right now as we speak, there is worship that's going on. You say, well, what, in another service? No, no, no. Worship that's going on in the heavens. See, he, here's what worship is. Our worship is a joining of something that's already taking place in glory. It's as though there's a parade going downtown Michigan Avenue, and you say, hey, I'm on my way to the parade, but you know what? That parade's already going. It's happening already. Right now, it's happening, and you just join in on it. Well, worship is the same thing. Right now, do you realize that worship is happening in the heavenly realm? It's happening up there. Now, you can't hear the angels singing, but they are. And you can't see the presence of God, but it's there. And you can't see the shine of God's glory, but it's there in the spiritual realm. So when we worship, what happens is that it's almost as though we take the curtains of the natural world, of this natural world of the five senses, and we part the curtains into the spiritual realm and we join something that's already taking place in heaven. That is dynamic, spirit-filled worship. And so I want to take you in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. As we learn about worship, I want you to look at the book of Revelation. If you're new to your Bibles, it's the last book of the Bible. Turn all the way to the back. If you go too far, you may be in the concordance or in the map section, but Revelation... The reason it's called Revelation is that it was John the Apostle that pinned the words to this book down. John the Apostle, by the way, wrote, wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and he also wrote the book of Revelation. Now, it's called Revelation because John was on an island by the name of Patmos. Now, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Patmos. Patmos is an island in the Aegean Sea, and it's between Turkey and Greece. And it's a small island that they would literally send people to die there. It was like a prison island during the days of John. 
And John was, on, John was in prison in this island by the name of Patmos. And it was there on that island that John had this vision, this spiritual revelation. And he wrote it down in a book called Revelation. Now, the thing about Revelation, some of you don't like to read it because it's scary. There's horns and beasts and blood and judgment, dead people and fire and ashes. And you say, you know, I just stay clear of Revelation because it's kind of a scary book to read. It's apocalyptic, the end times. And you say, you know what, I have nightmares when I read it. But here's the thing about Revelation. If you get past the, all the symbolism and fire and dragons and all that, in the end, guess what? The good guys win. So in the end, God accomplishes his purposes. And if you really understand Revelation, it's a powerful, dynamic, victorious book that gives us insight into the future. And so in Revelation chapter 4, we have a scene in which John, while he's having a vision, he gets a glimpse into heaven. And I'm bringing our attention to this because Heaven is the throne of God, is the center of the worship that is happening all over the world. It's directed towards the throne of God, and I think we need to go to the throne of God and see what's happening up there so that we can understand worship in a better way. I don't have time to read all of this uh, beginning of chapter 4, but let me pick up in verse 8. John is before this great white throne. And he says there's a sea that looks like a sea of glass around the throne. And there's these creatures around the throne and he begins to describe these four living creatures. And he says, and the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings. They're full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say, day and night, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they chant this chant back and forth to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the Almighty, who is and was and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is, who was, and who is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is, who was, and who is to come. And they chant it back and forth to each other. You say, well, Pastor, how long have they been doing that? Was that just kind of a new thing they started with John? No. If you go a couple thousand years back, You'll realize, do you remember who Isaiah was? Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament. And at very the beginning of his ministry, the Bible says he went into the temple to pray and God peeled back the curtains of heaven and gave him a glimpse into what was happening in glory. It starts, Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And he says, and I saw the seraphim. The who? That's who these four living creatures are. It's a category of angelic beings called the seraphim. And the seraphim are part of the angelic uh, beings that guard the glory of God. 
And Isaiah described that these seraphim fly around the great white throne of God and with two wings they cover their face and with two wings they cover their feet and with two wings they fly and they shout out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty as they fly around the throne of God and they echo back and forth to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because there's worship that emanates from the throne of God already. It's happening. You say, well, why do they cover their feet? Well, you see, because our feet are symbolic of that which touches the ground and typically are viewed as, as that which is dirty and filthy, so they cover their feet in the, in the face of God. You say, well, why do they cover their face? Well, because the splendor of God's radiance and holiness is so powerful that no one can gaze upon it and live. So they cover their face from the radiance of God. Now, how they fly with the wings covering their eyes, I don't know. They're just good at it. But they fly around giving prayer, and this is happening constantly around the throne of God because God in his essence requires and demands and the nature of God springs forth worship from the created beings. So this is happening in front of the throne of God and, and John sees that and he says, holy, 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 who was and who is and who is to come. What does that mean, who was and is and is to come? Well, last week we saw, remember, when Moses said to God, who are you? Uh, uh, what is your name? He said, I am. Right? Uh, Jesus said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, the essence of God is God never changes because God cannot improve because God is perfect. So therefore, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has never grown because he's always been there. God never learns because he's always known everything. He is omniscient, which means he knows all things. He is omnipotent, which means he has all power. He is omnipresent, which means he is present everywhere. And he is sovereign, which means he has power and glory to dictate all of creation and history, past, present, and future. Isn't it great that God never changes? You're listening to the new Bold Steps Weekend with Mark Job. We'll return to the second half of Mark's message in just a moment. Well, it's July, and with the coronavirus restrictions being lifted across the country, more and more people are making plans to head out for the summer. But that doesn't mean you have to miss out on Mark's great teaching and messages. When you download the Moody Radio app, you'll be able to catch this program anytime you like, no matter where the road takes you. To learn more, visit us online at boldstepsweekend.org. Right now, let's get back into today's message. Mark is addressing worship in the spiritual realm. So who, who was and is and is to come, the I am. And it says, And when the living creatures, the four angelic beings, give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, God the Father, to him who lives forever and ever, 
Then the 24 elders representing humanity will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne. And as they cast their crowns before the throne, they say, Worthy art thou, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things, and because of thy will they exist and were created. The point being that constantly, even now, as we speak, glory and worship, there's a worship service happening in the spiritual realm. And when we worship the best, it's when we get past the outer courts of the natural realm and we connect with what's happening in the spiritual realm and we join in celebration of what's already occurring around the throne room of God. That's when we worship best. That's why Jesus told the Samaritan woman, do you remember the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4? She says, well, you know, the Jews say you should worship at this mountain. The Samaritans say we should worship at that, this mountain. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus said, the true worshipers, God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If you're going to worship God the right way, you have to worship him in spirit, and it has to be in truth. God is a spirit being. And there's something about our worship that requires our spirit to connect with that worship. You see, you can worship with your lips, but not really worship with your spirit. Have you ever done that? You are singing, how great is our God? And you're looking around, someone walking, I wonder why they're late. How great is our God? What's a nice dress that person has. How great, how great is our God? You know, you, you can sing it with your mouth, but not really, you, you know, you, you're not there. Has that ever happened to you? Don't raise your hand because I know it has. <laughs> you can mouth something. You can even raise your hands and not be there. You can position your body and not be there. Your soul can be there and not really be there in spirit and in truth. Because the worship that God really responds to is when your spirit being is being prompted by the Holy Spirit to enter into the throne room of God and to worship him like he deserves to be worshipped. That's why scripture says you can enter boldly into his presence before the throne of God. You see, some of us have been believers, but we seldom go into the throne room. You say, well, pastor, I don't really know how to go into the throne room. Well, worship in spirit and in truth takes you into the throne room. And the closer you get to the throne room, the deeper your worship experience will be. Do you remember what happened with Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6? He saw the Lord high and lifted up. The seraphim were falling around the throne. And Isaiah sees this angelic vision. He sees what's happening around the throne. And what does he say? He doesn't say, cool, check it out. Man, wait till I tell my buddies what I've seen. What are the first words that come out of Isaiah's mouth? Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Immediately when Isaiah saw the glory of God, he was impressed at how dirty he was and how much he needed to be cleansed. And how dirty the society was in which he lived. And immediately it says he fell to the ground and he wanted to be clean. I need to be clean. I need to be clean. I am ruined. I need to be clean, clean, clean. 
The Bible says that one of the angels went to the altar, not the outer altar. There's two altars in the temple, but the inner altar, the one that's closest to the Holy of Holies. And that altar is where they sacrificed lambs and blood offerings. And he took a coal from that altar and he went to Isaiah and he put it on his lips symbolically. And it says, now you have been cleansed. Because the sacrifice of that altar is what cleanses us, pointing to what would happen years later at the cross. So the first thing I want you to really understand about worship is that when we worship God, when the cross is going to be centered to our worship, true worship dynamically unites us with what, what is already happening in the presence of God. It's already happening. And we just join in with what's already happening. The parade is already going, and we just join in in the parade. The second thing I want you to understand about worship is this this kind of worship, is that true worship is repeatedly rebirthed out of my response to the cross, the sacrifice of Jesus in my life. I want you to understand that this is huge. Look at what it says in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 1. So John sees them worshiping, and now something new, dynamic, different, is added into this scenario of heaven. Suddenly, there's a scroll. Everything changes with this scroll. It's a book. And he says, And I saw the, in the right hand of him, who's him? God the Father. Who sat on the throne, I saw a book written on the inside and on the back. And it was sealed with seven seals. So here's God the Father, splendor in all his holiness, sitting on the throne, and in his right hand he has a book. Sealed with seven seals. Stamped. Every seal has to be broken in order for that book to be opened. And suddenly the mood of heaven changes. There's a hush in glory. There's a concern in the faces of the elders. Something new is being introduced. Something that changes the dynamics of history in heaven and alters our worship. And I saw a strong angel, not a common little angel. This was a Michael caliber angel. A strong angel with a booming voice proclaiming, Who is worthy to open the book and to break the seven seals? You say, well, what is that book? You see, this book, the book of the seven seals, later we are to discover that book are the concluding chapters of history of humanity. Now, that book represents the final story of the redemptive history. Changing the dynamics of history with adoration and praise. You're listening to the Bible teaching of Mark Job, and this is Bold Steps Weekend. Few people have more impact on this nonprofit ministry than those who have chosen to give a financial gift so that other people can have access to the life changing, authentic Word of God. We're hearing from people in Texas and California, even across the globe and Singapore, who write in to tell us how much they appreciate Mark's timely and passionate teaching. And we could not produce and distribute these weekend programs without your partnership. So whether you can give a one-time donation 
Or if you decide to become a bold partner and give a financial gift of any amount each month, we look forward to standing together with you. Call us at 866-535-5580. That's 866-535-5580. Or give online when you visit boldstepsweekend.org. And when you give a gift of $30 or more each month, we'll send you a code that will enable you to purchase anything in the Moody Publishers catalog at a 50% discount. Plus, you'll get some additional perks, like a copy of our latest Bold Action Gift. Here's Mark again to tell us a little more about this fascinating resource by Randy Elkhorn. The call to be Christ-like is a weighty pursuit, but it doesn't have to be. And if you're looking for a poignant and practical guide on how to navigate the ongoing issues of today's complex world, I'd recommend a book written by Randy Alcorn called The Grace and Truth Paradox, Responding with Christ-Like Balance. This easy-to-read book will help you recalibrate your perspectives on the current issues of today, while also helping you revitalize your hope for living out the gospel to a lost and broken world. Request your copy of The Grace and Truth Paradox, Responding with Christ-Like Balance, right now. It's yours with a gift of any amount to support Bold Steps Weekend. And then as God leads you, would you consider teaming up with us this year by becoming a bold partner? Your monthly financial gift of any amount will touch lives of people all across this country, and you'll receive some extra bonuses as well. Thank you. All right, thank you, Mark. To request Randy Elkhorn's book today, address your envelope to Bold Steps Weekend, 820 North LaSalle Boulevard, Chicago, Illinois, 60610. Once again, the address is 820 North LaSalle Boulevard, Chicago, Illinois, 60610. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Wayne Shepard on behalf of Mark Job and the entire Bold Steps Weekend team. Let me wish you a wonderful and relaxing weekend. Be sure to join us next time when Mark shows us why the book of Revelation not only relates to the future, but in the way we worship the Lord today. That's coming up next time on Bold Steps Weekend. Bold Steps Weekend is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.